Hey there, I'm Ruby Jones, the host of Schwartz Media's daily news show, 7am. This is The Weekend Read. Every month on the show, we feature the best long-form journalism in Australia, read to you by the people who wrote it. Today on the show, journalist and author Jock Sarong, with his piece from the latest edition of The Monthly. It takes us inside a scientific base built long before we knew Australia was facing climate catastrophe, but now the Institute finds itself chronicling the disaster. Designed to study the unrivalled wonders of Australia's coral reefs, it's now situated in a world where, on current projections, those reefs will be gone by 2060. Jock will read his story, Front Row Seats to the End of the Reef, after a short conversation. To hear more Weekend Reads, you can subscribe to The Weekend Read in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Jock, you recently spent some time at the Australian Institute of Marine Science. Can you tell me why it is that you wanted to go there and what it is that drew you to this particular story? Yeah, Ruby, I, um, I've been interested in and I've written about the ocean for a long time now. Um, but all of my writing comes from this perspective of being on the Southern Ocean and the, the margins here are, are rocks and kelp and things are cold and stormy. And so I was really interested in talking to scientists um, and writing about a whole different way of thinking about the ocean, which is this warm, tropical coral reef environment. And at the end of your week at the Institute and over the, the time in which you've written about that, is there anything that has stayed with you in particular? Yeah, the thing that really stays with me is talking to scientists and firstly um, dispelling the lazy notion that they were much older people and that they were overwhelmingly male. These were young people, probably majority female, and really once you spoke to them at length, angry and worried and concerned to get a responsible message out to people um, without at the same time wanting to be branded as advocates of any kind. Jock, thank you so much for your time and I'm really looking forward to hearing you read your piece. Thanks, Ruby. The Townsville headquarters of the Australian Institute of Marine Science, or Ames, is 40 minutes down a long road, hidden in the forest of Cape Cleveland beside a restricted access beach. It sits roughly halfway up the Great Barrier Reef's 2300 kilometre length, although the outer coral itself is at least 40 kilometres offshore. Both the physical and the cyber security around the nation's preeminent tropical marine science agency are striking. And when I first saw the place, my thoughts turned to Stanislaw Lem's Solaris or Andrew McGann's The Rich Man's House. The grounds are crawling with wildlife, but the interiors hum with quiet industry. Thoughtful humans, watchful nature. Animals abound in the literal scrub, along the sand and in the water. We were told the sea was strictly off limits, and if any further discouragement was needed, we were provided with a photo of a huge saltwater croc sunning itself on the tide line. Sitting on a granite boulder with beer in hand, 4X, the only disappointment of the trip, I saw sea eagles, brush turkeys, painted crayfish, countless species of crab, a shark, turtles, and the prints of what might have been dingoes. On the first night, a pig took to grunting and coughing outside my room so that I thought my next-door neighbour was in the grip of an asthma attack. 
I am at Ames on a week-long residency as part of its 50th anniversary celebrations. It's a scientific base built before we knew how much trouble we're in, before increased mass bleaching events and species loss became a reality. With me are authors Maria Takalanda, Claire Corbett, Eliza Henry-Jones and Jessica White, and graphic novelist and Triple J presenter Stacey Gagoulis. All of us immersed in the daily activities of the facility. For Ames, this is, of course, a brave and generous invitation. Welcome six writers to join a hotly contested conservation debate, give them the keys to every door, and the awkward questions start flying. Just how much trouble is the reef in? Why did another organisation, a barely known one, receive $444 million from the Turnbull government to work on reef projects? What do traditional owners think of what you're doing? Do you get tired of friends asking whether climate change is real? By day, we stalk the common area between labs, conspicuous with our notebooks and laptops. At board table lunches, we speak to scientists, engineers and executives who answer our questions with patience and passion. They're reflective, funny, often furious, distressed and deeply committed. One runs an outreach about climate change for kids. The year sevens and above are in the acute anxiety phase, she says. I'm not threatening their mental health. They can see the fires in the news. The cognitive dissonance of pretending nothing's happening is way more damaging. These people form a vulnerable human interface between politicians, the Australian people and the natural world. An unimaginable responsibility that entangles them in defending the science even as they practice it. In part, the residency came about because of the divided lives of AIM's chief executive, Paul Hardesty, an environmental engineer with a history in water treatment in the world's trouble spots. Hardesty is also chair of the Foundation for Australian Literary Studies at James Cook University. And on top of all of that, he's a successful fiction author. It was clear to Hardesty that writers could best tell Ames's story and make sense of its work. One of the site's buildings, known as the National Sea Simulator, or SeaSim, houses an entire self-sufficient coral reef in a lab. Think of how cumbersome a human must become in order to survive briefly underwater. Heavy, pressurised tanks, lead weights, a regulator, a false skin of neoprene, adaptive eyesight and feet. Here's the analogy, but infinitely scaled up. It takes a mammoth technical effort to make the CSIM mimic nature's harmonies. Pumps, heaters, computerised lighting that recreates the ultraviolet spectrum. Filters, pipes, cables, cables, cables. It looks like an intensive care unit, and essentially that's what it is. On current projections, all of the world's coral reefs will be gone by 2060. The Great Barrier Reef is more resilient than most because of its sheer size and biological diversity. It has more than 600 species of coral. By comparison, the Caribbean's reefs could be gone in 20 years. Ames's scientists are planning for a catastrophe they fully expect will unfold. One section of the CSIM is a hypnotically pretty display aquarium where they take heads of state for photo ops. In another, less visible area, a young scientist watches a series of large tanks that are temperature controlled to mimic global warming at various forecast levels. In a tank labelled 2050, the corals are brown and sparse. My children will be the age I am now when the tank's funereal promise is delivered. Ames leads the world in research ideas such as the CSIM, 
and brightening clouds so they reflect sunlight back into space and lessen the bleaching effect. Another program, called Reef Song, studies the sounds that attract fish to degraded reefs. There's a pool where scientists study the giant triton shells that hunt and eat crown of thorns starfish. The tritons can smell the chemical signature of the starfish in the water, and the starfish know it. They flee to the opposite side of the pool in life-or-death slow motion. Coral core samples, much like those drawn from glaciers, provide a record of more than 600 years of the reef's growth. The giant Paretes coral lives long and grows slow, its skeleton harvesting evidence like the twitching needle of some exquisitely sensitive instrument. So the summer of Magellan's voyage in 1522 is there in the core. And the great floods of Aboriginal and Islander lore, confirmed by spectrometry. You can see European settlement in there, the land clearing marked by sedimentary forensics, the advent and decline of leaded petrol, the birth of the aluminium industry, fertilisers, the reef's landmark bleaching event of 1998, represented in the core as a black cavity where no growth occurred. Coral remembers everything, and its forms are accusing fingers. It's impossible to practice science in an ethical bubble. Agendas swirl around every activity. Ames interacts with oil and gas proponents that share maritime territory. Woodside, for example, operates near to Ames researchers in northwest Western Australia. We're working with people who are causing the ill effects we're observing, one young scientist says. But the people at scientist level within those organisations are entirely genuine. Ames's First Nations engagement bears out a welcome trend towards connecting science with the expertise of Indigenous law. The Institute has protocols requiring traditional owner permission wherever it operates, so if Ames sends a boat across the reef, it will speak to all the relevant sea country elders first. When Ames takes coral samples from remote places and brings them back to Townsville, there's a welcome to country for the pieces of country. And, in both the legal and practical senses, None of the material belongs to Ames. In-house lawyer Andrew Poloni has developed clauses stating that Ames owns none of the intellectual property taken from country. It is merely licensed to use it. Young First Nations people at Ames are undertaking their Certificate 3 in aquaculture, based around phenomena such as spawning. There is a scientific study of Mazigalgal, or Torres Strait Islands, seasons going on. Only 8,000 years ago, the reef was a vast coastal plain, and stories of its inundation still survive. All of this coral was country, and in a meaningful sense, it still is. I'm a southerner. I take my climatic cues from the southern ocean, and the limits of my familiarity are set by kelp. Usually, the battles over the Great Barrier Reef are faraway conflicts in my world, despite the knowledge that they're fought over global malaises. When I return to my home on the Victorian coast, it's 10 degrees outside, grey and bleak. The memories Townsville evokes are not the marbling blues and greens, nor the usual PR emissaries, the dolphins and clownfish. Not warmth and sunsets and palm fronds. The coral speaks across distance and time in another voice, as Harbinger, ancient and grieving. <laughs>